Welcome to Beauty Will Save the World. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Susie Solaviv. I am a narrative consultant working for myself, a cradle Orthodox Christian from a convert family, married to Gregory. We have one daughter. We live outside of Boston, and I read way too many books. I'm Rebecca Lonovich. I love the Orthodox Christian Church, and I want to share conversations here about the faith from our hybrid cradle convert perspective. I'm married to Victor, the best person in the world, and together we have three sons and live in the Pennsylvania wilds. This podcast is about faith and friendship, family and food, feminism, books, Netflix, art, and music. All the things. Most of all, it is about our experiences of beauty that brings us deeper into the love of God. This is going to be our first episode, right? Yes, we need to introduce ourselves and say what we're doing and why we're here. Yes. Okay, you first. All right. Well, I was going to call this episode, Who Are You? And How Did You Get In Here? And the line comes from Victor's favorite TV show called Police Squad. And yes, Leslie Nielsen in it. And it's Victor's favorite line. Someone says it. Who are you? And how did you get in here to this person in the room? And the person responds, well, I'm a locksmith and I'm a locksmith. So who are we and how did we get in here? Well, we bought a bunch of stuff and put it on the credit cards and started a podcast. That's how we got here. If you have enough money to throw at it, you can do anything. I'm pretty sure all y'all know that already. So Susie, tell us about you and then I'll talk about myself. Okay. So obviously I am Susie McClellan Solaviv and you have to keep that in there because I was better ready to say, I do bios for people. I help people introduce themselves. And then I was like, that's dumb. That's not the way to start. I think that's a good way to start because it is who you are and what you're doing here. <laughs> I mean, that's part of it's it. Like, it's very meta. You're like talking about what you do as part of what you do. Yes, exactly. Okay. So I am Susie McClellan Solaviv, and Rebecca and I are cousins-in-law. Did I tell you that I decided that's what we should call ourselves, cousins-in-law? Yeah, that sounds good. And Rebecca wrote to me, sort of told me out of the blue, that she wanted to do a podcast with me. And I was like, that sounds like fun. Let's do it. Because I've been trying to do a podcast on my own. I don't even know if I told you this. I've wanted to do a podcast that's just me talking. And that turned out to not be a good idea. Like, I just couldn't really pull it together. (laughs) And that's probably because my best ideas come when I'm talking to other people and I'm working with other people. That's always been true of me. That's why I went into theater initially and why now I have my own small business, which if you're listening to this in September, it's officially now the narrative solution. If you're listening to this before September, congratulations, you know something that almost no one else knows. And I help small businesses, personal brands, and job seekers to own their stories, to make sure that their narratives are the most powerful and true that they can be in order to maximize their income. So for small businesses that can be doing anything from website work to planning a launch, making sure they have the right trajectory for the launch, making sure it's true to their values, or I've helped some people with rebrands. And then I also love helping job seekers make sense out of all their experiences and find common threads so that they can make their cover letters and resumes and LinkedIn profiles stand out. I really enjoy my work. It's a very small business right now. It's growing, for which I'm thankful. 
people keep finding me and I keep putting stuff out there and making stuff and it's going well and I am happy. I live north of Boston with my husband and daughter and Sir Percival the cat who is at this exact moment leaning on my laptop. If we were on a video call, he would 100% walk in front of the camera (laughs) because that's what he loves to do. Yeah, we have a pretty rockin' yard right now, and we have a little free library out front. I am currently reading One to Watch, and it is absolute fluff, and I'm loving every second of it. It is about a fictional plus-sized blogger who ends up going on a fictional version of The Bachelorette. I am living for it. It is exactly what I need during this extremely stressful year. Yeah. (laughs) When I'm not reading very fluffy chiclet, You can find me reading YA novels or occasionally the giant biography of Lyndon Johnson by Robert. (laughs) So good. Yeah. Is there anything I missed? You want to talk about your Orthodox background? Sure. That's a good idea. My parents were both converts. My father was raised Catholic and my mother was sort of loosely Baptist. Her mother was Catholic, but they kind of had a loose church attendance. They would go to like different Protestant churches with the neighbors. So kind of loosely Baptist. My father came to Orthodoxy, I think it was right after his separation from his first wife. He found out about it through my godfather, who was godfather to everyone in my family except my mom. My mom came to Orthodoxy through a friend and they met in church. My mom had already been baptized. My dad had not. He decided he wanted to go on a date with her. She thought he was the most handsome man she'd ever seen. And so my mom, something was wrong with her car after church. And so my dad walked up to her and asked if he could take a look. My mom said, sure. And she was so happy that somebody was around who knew about cars. So he looked under the hood, said, sure looks broken. Want to go for a coffee? (laughs) (laughs) And then while they were at the restaurant or diner, wherever they went, apparently he told my mom, someday, God willing, I'm going to marry you. And she said, don't I get a say in it? And he said, no. Oh. (laughs) And they still got married anyway. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. I think uh, my father was a very strong character. He passed away when I was nine, but he left me with five older siblings and my mom. And I had a very big, happy Orthodox family, the overwhelming majority of whom are still Orthodox. And it's definitely an Orthodox environment. We have some residual Catholic guilt issues, which is something that I talk about a lot on the show, because I think it's important and theologically incorrect. And I have uh, 12 nieces and nephews, and my daughter is grandchild number 13. So it's a big family, and I love them a lot, and I miss them. Oh, I guess I should also add, I went to Wellesley College, and God willing, when you hear this episode in September, my thesis will be turned in. The goal is August 26th. I'll have a master's in theater education, and I speak Mandarin, and I've lived in China a couple of times, and I think that covers everything. Oh, do you want to just talk about Catholic guilt for a second, since it's part of your introduction? Like, What does that mean to you, and how has it been part of your life? Okay, so I live in Boston, where just about everybody is either Catholic, former Catholic, lapsed Catholic, or came from a Catholic family, like, including me. (laughs) Like, my dad's extended family was all Catholic. My aunts mostly left the church after the scandals occurred, the sex scandals, when that broke in the early, the early 2000s. 2000s. Yeah. I mean, they were furious, and they pretty much left. But... (sighs) 
I think Catholic guilt comes from the Catholic theology of sin and hell. So you have to make sure that all your sins are confessed and atoned for. There's an actual practice of penance, which is not something that we do all the time in the Orthodox Church. Like a spiritual father may uh, give you something to do after confession, but it's not like your forgiveness depends on it. It's just something that's right. meant to be beneficial for your soul. Whereas my understanding is that in the Catholic theology, you have to do the penance. The Ten Our Fathers, Ten Hail Marys. Then there's also the concept of sins that are unforgivable, whereas in the Orthodox Church, the only thing that's unforgivable is the very ill-defined blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Only thing I've ever heard of as being unforgivable is suicide because you can't go to confession afterwards. But even then, it's, you have to factor in all of the different circumstances that are in a person's life. I think that Orthodox theology and the Orthodox mindset are not punitive. If you believe in Orthodox theology, then what you believe is that we're here on earth to draw closer to God, to become like him, to ultimately achieve theosis. We're not here to behave ourselves in order to escape punishment. Well, I'm sure that if you get into deep Catholic theology, I'm sure it's more complex, but uh -huh. the, the Catholic culture around me, my understanding of it was that it was very punitive. You step out of line, you're going to get punished. And, you know, love in that way becomes a bit conditional. Like you mm -hmm. can only be right with God if you do X, Y, and Z. Right. Whereas Orthodox theology is not so strict. Right. Dear theologians listening, if any of you are, please feel free to correct me. I'm always happy to learn. <laughs> but so all of that is to say that if you do something wrong or if you commit something that if you do something that's mortal sin adjacent, i.e. anything to do with sex, like watching a movie and then there's a nude scene or whatever, it gnaws at the soul. <laughs> and so that's how I felt a lot growing up. That's what Catholic that's what Catholic guilt means to me. That makes sense. A lot of sense. I think that's one of the most prominent things in the Orthodox Church is the emphasis on God's mercy, that God is merciful, and that sin is what keeps us from union with God, not something that keeps God from looking on us with love or mercy, right? Yes, God is looking on us with mercy no matter what, but yeah, sin makes it harder. Sin keeps us from union with God because it it um, turns us away from God. Exactly. That makes a lot of sense. My mom was raised Catholic, but her side of the family is um, German Catholic. And I do think probably like the Orthodox churches, different Catholic countries have different Catholic cultures, you know? Yeah. And, and so I don't know if that was such a prominent feature. Definitely a much more Celtic thing, like Anglo-Celtic thing. Mm-hmm. I couldn't tell you why, but I'm sure there are people out there who could. Yeah. Well, you have to dive into Irish Catholicism, which is a which is an interesting and really deep place, but something I don't know much about, except I, you know, I do celebrate St. Patrick's Day once in a while. <laughs> which is also my kid's birthday. So we went to a birth center, and so we got released later that day. And uh -huh. we were, it was a Thursday, and we were driving home 
from the birth center, you know, with our hours old child. And we're looking around at the street scene like, man, there are so many people out on a Thursday night. Like, I guess Thursday really is the new Friday. But no, it was Thursday. <laughs> I thought you were going to say you stopped for a pint on the way home. Definitely not. <laughs> Definitely not. Okay, so that's like all the pertinent facts about me. What about you, Rebecca? Okay, I'm Rebecca Lonovich, and I am married to Victor Lonovich, and we have three sons. Their um, oldest is nine, and my second is five, and the baby is just about to turn three. I have been listening to podcasts for the last few years or so, and I found my life so enriched by them. Something that I could do when I was doing other things like cooking or um, folding laundry and driving in the car or something. I found a lot of times I would take away something to really think on or ponder that would let me branch out into other ideas and start making connections and um, with other things that I had read or learned or um, experienced. So some of the formative podcasts for me were Fountains of Carrots with Haley Stewart and Christy Isinger. And they're two Catholic moms and they were bloggers before they started podcasting. And their podcast is a lot of fun. They talk about literature and um, homeschooling. They both are homeschool moms. Catholic stuff, pop culture stuff, all kinds of things. And they have a lot of guests too. And it's a great podcast. And also I love Pop Culture Coffee Hour with Christian Gonzalez and Steve Cristoforo on Ancient Faith Radio. And I highly recommend that's a really good podcast. I learned so much and it's really inspired me to go deeper into my faith and to look for the good and the beautiful and everything. And then the other one I really love is Father Andrew Stephen Damick's The Areopagus, which he does with his friend, Protestant minister, Pastor Mike Lansman. What all of these podcasts have in common is that they're very conversational. They're between two people and there's a lot of talk and back and forth and people kind of work out ideas together. And I found that was my favorite and what I was most drawn to. So that's why I wanted to do this with you, Susie, because you are really smart and you have great ideas and opinions. Also, guys, she has the best voice for radio. She's just that actress training, I guess. And especially what I liked about Fountains of Carrots is that they have a community of listeners so that they were even able to have in-person live events. It was Fountains of Carrots, Anna Green Gables Symposium or something like that. They're big Anna Green Gables fans. And um, I thought it was such a wonderful way that they took something that was virtual and uh, social media based and it translated into a live in-person event. And so I think that's my ultimate goal to create a community where we can talk about the faith, about our experience of it and encounters of beauty and goodness and truth and joy in the world and have that be a starting point where we can maybe start connecting more with each other. I often feel like the women in orthodoxy, and not just the women, but everyone, we have tendency to be really clickish, you know, and kind of stick to our group. And also I often see that women, a lot of women don't take a vocal role in church matters. And I think that's a loss to the church, actually. If you think about the early days of the church in the Byzantine Empire, and then the church in Russia as well as other places, women were never part of the clergy or ecclesiology, but they were empresses, princesses, and they had a lot of say, in fact, in what, what was going on in the church, what was happening. And now in a democratic government like what we live in here, that, that role is not available. 
for women or anyone that's not um, clergy. So I'm not trying to say that we should take on the role of empresses, (laughs) although I would like that. But I do think that it's perfectly right for women to talk about church matters and to have opinions and to have a vision and idea of what we could do better and how we could grow in our love for God and move closer to his kingdom. Yeah, I guess that's kind of main thing that I wanted to, and not just for women, but to create a community where we can really sort of dig into the intersection of where the theology of the church and all of that majestic beauty meets our everyday life. You know, like the school drop off and the um, laundry and the scramble to get ready for church and out the door and marriage and meal planning, all those really just ordinary, regular things that also have beauty and transcendence. And we don't always recognize that. Ideally, eventually, I would like to be able to have in-person events like Fountains of Carrots did, because I think we could use more face-to-face interaction, especially for Orthodox women. There's clergy conferences and there's youth camps for but women, especially moms like us, don't have don't have very many opportunities like that, at least not in Rocor. And we want to cultivate more and deeper relationships. So baptized into the church. In 2001, with my mom and our brothers and sisters, I was 17. My dad had already been baptized into the church. And before we were Orthodox, we were Baptist for a little while. And then before that, we were non-denominational, charismatic that kind of thing. And not too long after we were baptized in early 2002, we moved from Northern Kentucky, like Cincinnati area to Huntington, West Virginia, because the monastery that had been in Missouri, the Oracle Monastery had moved to West Virginia. And my dad, a new convert, thought, what better place to raise your family than close to a monastery in West Virginia? So that's where I lived. Um, That's where I met my husband and our first two sons were born. And then in 2015, we moved here to the Pennsylvania Wilds, which is like north, about two and a half hours of Pittsburgh. I went to college in Huntington too at Marshall University. I'm an RN and I keep up my license, but I don't work because I don't have to. (laughs) And it's a hard job. Anyone out there who says that being a full-time mom, as I currently am a full-time mom, caregiver to my children, housekeeper for the house. Anyway, he says that it's harder to stay at home than to work has an easy job. I'll just say it. Every day at home rocks my socks. It's the best day ever compared to my work as a nurse. It's just very difficult. It's a special job and I learned so much and had so many important, just really meaningful interactions with people. And I wouldn't give it up at all, but it's just like physically, mentally, and emotionally draining. And then you got to get up the next day and do it all again. And it's a hard job. I worked in the ICU too, which is its own its own thing. So I'm glad that I did it and I don't miss it. And if I ever have to go back, I will, but for right now, I don't. So that's that. And what else? Oh, our husbands. So Victor and Gregory are cousins. Their um, fathers were brothers. And their babushka, Nina Silviev, passed away in August last year. Yeah, it's been um, almost one year. She was the matriarch of the family and kind of the matriarch of Rokor. <laughs> I remember that the first time I met her, I'd only been dating Victor for a few months 
and she greeted me with so much love and she was just so welcoming and she sent me a big bolka home she said it's not from you victor it's for it was for me <laughs> she very specifically gave it to me and then the second time i was up there at her house by jordanville she had talking a lot about what bad house she was in and that she was doing poorly and we got there and you know like they poured me a a drink. It was baba juice. That did you ever have that? So my mother in law actually brought us some when she came out to visit. So we have some in the fridge right now. Okay. And they're like, "Oh, baba makes this," and I was like, "Oh." And then she served us cheese blintzes, and they said, "Oh, babushka made these crepes, and she made the cheese that are in the crepes." <laughs> and she made this a big turkey dinner on her wood burning stove in the basement. Oh and served us the next day. It was the best turkey of my life. <laughs> and and that was just how it was. When did she move in with Victor Carlson, father, uncle, Michael? <laughs> so she moved in right when Greg and I started dating, more or less, which would have been 2013. So she lived with Father Michael and Cecilia, your, your parents-in-law, from then until just this last year. Yeah, and her passing was pretty peaceful. And although I am sorry she's gone, I'm really glad that she didn't have to live in her extremely advanced age during this difficult time. One of her great joys at the end of her life was getting to go to the senior center every day Uh to do activities. And of course, that stuff is all closed down and restricted now. The whole family has been like, you know, as much as we didn't want her to go, in some ways, it seems like a blessing that she wasn't here to live through this awful time. Right. It would have been hard for her not to go to church too. She truly loved the services. Yeah. Her eulogy, Father Alexis gave at her funeral, brought us all to tears. Remember he talked about how she became Babushka, not just for her family, but for the whole church. Uh Uh-huh. And how much love she greeted everyone with. Yeah. She's legendary. And I think she was preparing for her death for about 20 years. I think Victor told me that she already had her coffin in her garage at Jordanville and had had it since he was a kid, I think. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. So when I met Babushka, it it was well before Greg and I were dating. It was back when my brother became a monastic. I think I must have met her or been aware of her before that, because I can't remember ever meeting her. I just remember knowing who she was and greeting her, but she loved my brother and she's always very kind to me. And she was so kind while we were at the monastery. And then when he passed, she always had her place at the monastery. She had her spot where she stood. Uh And then it was the same thing when she went to Albany. There was a chair there that was Babushka's chair. Right. And it was actually in about the same spot that her chair was at (laughs) Jordanville. Yes. Before we move on for Babushka, I just want to add, let's not make her out to be just this sweet old woman because she was a force. (laughs) Yes, yes. I don't know about your side of the family. There's definitely a lot of those stories on the uh, Lanovich side. (laughs) Yeah, that sweet little old woman demeanor. Yeah, sure. It it was real. But like underneath, there was a core of steel. (laughs) Yes. Do you remember that photo board that uh, was at her funeral? Yes, yes, I do. There was a photo of her and Victor's other grandma, because they all used to live close to each other. And in New Jersey. And it was some outing that they'd all went on with Peter and Maria, my parents-in-law, before Victor was even born. And 
they were both wearing both like swimsuits. They looked like old timey wrestlers, you know. Like, yeah. <laughs> when my mother in law Maria saw that picture, she's like, "Oh my goodness! If Babushka knew that all these priests were here, just could see this photo of her in her swimsuit, <laughs> she would be horrified." Yeah, I remember that one. <laughs> oh my goodness! Well, I feel like this story is actually somehow relevant to our podcast. Like, I feel it says something. Babushka lived near the seminary, which is part of the monastery, you know, it's attached to the monastery. And so she took in all of the seminarians and she would feed them and she would have them over on feast days and she would offer them a drink and whatever. And those seminarians who went on to become clergy and monastics and bishops, they did not forget their time at Tietjaninas. They they remembered. And so when they came back to Jordanville, they would come, they'd visit and they'd have some tea and they'd pray for her and they would give her all the gossip. And like, so she knew, she knew what was up. She was connected to everybody. Yes. Yes. I know it's not insignificant back channeling. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Oh, I just wanted to say, so the family are, our husbands are technically Belarusian. Well, Gregory's half Belarusian, half Ukrainian, isn't he? Yeah, I, I like to tease him. And when he says he's Russian, I say, you're a Belarusian Ukrainian. Yes, yes. <laughs> so, and the whole family, both of Victor's parents on his side, and then I think Trofim, right? Oh, yeah, Trofim. Gregory's oh, grandfather. Yep. Yes. They're all displaced persons after World War II. And Victor's dad's side, so Papa Sylvia came through Brazil to America. and. Victor's mother's family came through Argentina, and um, Victor's mom and dad, Peter and Maria, met. I think they may have been in the same high school, actually, in New Jersey, South River, which is a big Belarusian. Yeah, I asked Tito Maria about that last time I saw her. And she was going on about how handsome Peter was and how he was such a ladies' man. (laughs) Yes, yes. She really liked him. And he was very popular, but in the end, Maria won. <laughs> and then Peter passed away in 2014. I wish I had gotten to know him better. I only met him a few times. Oh, you would have loved him. He was so fun to be around. He was always pulling my plate if I finished. You want some more? Have some more of this. Just a little bit more of that. And wouldn't let you know anybody's glass get empty. And he was a wonderful dancer. He had that rhythm from Brazil. Like He brought it back with him here and he was a really good dancer and Maria was too they loved to dance one thing I feel like our husbands have in common that they got from their dads that they got from Babushka is that all of them know how to have a good time yes yeah like they know what's necessary and it doesn't have to be fancy and they can just throw it together and suddenly everybody's having a ball you know yes they understand that yes it's something I've always loved about the whole family. You're right. Yeah, they just have a sense of, yeah, that sort of hospitality and like conviviality. Hospitality was always really important to my family too, but it was it was different somehow. I think it's a value Gregory and I shared. Like my parents always had people over after church on Saturday night. But there was one other thing I was going to say, oh, about Greg's family. So I guess one other not insignificant thing about Greg's family is his mom's side. His mom is an Anderson. And so the whole family 
converted mostly under the influence of Father Seraphim Rose. And so his mother is actually Father Seraphim's uh, goddaughter, and the whole family had a really strong connection to him. And they were, so they were American converts, but they participated in this kind of epic conversion center that was happening on the West Coast. My family participated in the kind of epic conversion center that was happening here on the East Coast, but that one ended a little worse. My parents initially came, were both baptized at Holy Transfiguration Monastery, which then went into schism due to a number of unsavory things. Thankfully, my parents got out before things hit the fan and, you know, they ended up only being cheated out of a lot of money rather than getting in trouble in other ways. Um. Yeah, it was unfortunate, but I mean, there, a lot of good things came out of Holy Transfiguration Monastery before it it went sour. Mm -hmm. You know, like there, so many of the translations we still use in our services and part of the reason that they were such big centers of conversion, both, Mm -hmm. both Father Seraphim's uh, and Father Herman's, yeah, thank you, Platina, is because they were the places that were translating Orthodox books and right. translating Orthodox material. Yeah, so into English. So people were naturally curious and interested. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's an important thing to share about the family, too. That influence is there, and it's still strong. Right, right. So how are you, Rebecca? Good. It's been a, I'm glad it's almost Friday. How are you doing? I'm all right. It's been a very busy week for me. I started kind of on a whim, a project for my business, giving away 31 free sessions for the month of August. And it has been extremely successful in the like three days I put it up, 13 sessions are gone. So even if I don't fill all 31, I feel good that I'm able to help 13 people. Wow, that's really cool. (laughs) Yeah, I'm happy with it. So when this uh, podcast comes out, I'll have just finished my rebrand and we'll be launching under a new name and um, a slightly different business model that involves downloadable products as well as one-on-one coaching. So this is just kind of the busy, crazy time as I'm still figuring out what needs to be done to get us to that point. So what's the new name? The Narrative Solution. What do you think? I think it's nice. Yeah, I I definitely like the narrative in there, like the word narrative in there. Yeah, I played with a couple of ideas, and this is the one that's been sitting the best. Like it, uh, the only negative feedback I got was that it sounds a little corporate, but I actually think it's not a bad thing to project a little more professionalism, especially when you balance it against me and my personality, um, which is <laughs> not to say I'm not professional. I am. Oh, yeah. Just, I tend to be very casual, very informal, so I don't think it's going to be something that makes it seem too stuffy. Okay, yeah. So yeah, so that's what we're doing. And I am filing for an LLC, which is scary and exciting. Um, So I guess I have a lot going on. (laughs) Basically, I had planned to file for an LLC for a while anyway. But when I was on the phone with her, she was pointing out that um, not being an LLC is a little bit like playing Russian roulette with my assets. And we don't have that many assets. I don't think anyone is that interested in our assets, but we should probably protect them anyway. So uh, uh, yeah, perhaps someday when I inherit my millions right. <laughs> from an unknown relative. <laughs> Hope it will come through for you. 
listen, I have so many relatives that that would never happen. I am the youngest of 42 cousins on my dad's side. Did you know that? Yeah, I think you said. Yeah, that's a big family. Yeah, 42 cousins on my dad's side and like 12 on my mom's side. And then so many of them have children already. So yeah, any inheritance would be divided rather severely. Right. Unless you were the favorite. Unless I was the favorite. But if it's an unknown relative, how could I be the favorite? Maybe they listen to the podcast. Yes. I think you better start working that angle, Susie. Yes. Hello, unknown relatives. (laughs) I have nothing to say. But who I want to know and be close to be your favorite person. And hang out with all the time. Yes. But like mostly never. But also never. (laughs) So what's new in your world? I took Luca, my second son, to his preschool orientation on Monday, and I was kind of feeling a little nervous about sending him back to school, and I still am, but it was really nice to be at school, to be doing something very normal, even though things were slightly different, mask wearing and things like that, and to be thinking about a normal fall with everybody in school. And I hope that it works out and that it's safe and um, my boys can have a normal school year after all this disruption. Is that possible, do you think, in your area? How is How are things going over there? Well, as of right now, I think both the public school and then the Catholic school where my boys go are planning for five-day-a-week, full-day, in-person instruction. Wow. That's what they're planning right now. So... If that changes, I guess we'll just have to roll with it. But the case numbers are pretty low here still, although they're picking up a little bit. So I don't know. We'll just have to see what the best thing to do is. But we don't start back until August 27th. So we've got a little bit of time. My daughter is still below school age. So she's in uh, her daycare two days a week. And it has been a tremendous blessing. Well, I get the sense that Ella is someone who thrives in a community. Yes. She's a social person. And she needs to have people to imitate. And also, I think, followers. Do you think? Um, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love her little personality. It's just so sparkling. Yeah, I think she's really benefited from being back in school and having projects and like people to play with again. I do worry that the COVID restrictions have taken a toll on her, but there's really no way around that. Like the kids wear masks when they're playing close to each other and they've taped um, stickers to the ground so that the kids can social distance when they're sitting in circle and stuff. Sometimes I feel like maybe the stress of that. She's been having a lot of tantrums. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay. Uh-huh. So I feel like that might be her way of expressing the stress, but who knows? It is a wonder that we are not all having tantrums. So, yes. well, some of us are, Susie. I don't know about you. How is your stress buying going? I would say it is up a little bit. <laughs> well, I just get bored, Susie, and I'm like, oh, this needs fixed. That needs repaired. This needs changed. And I buy something for that thing. Yep. What about you? Very productive. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> what have you been buying? I'm trying not to go anywhere non-essential still. So we go to food stores 
Okay, I will admit we go to Barnes and Noble, but that's because the Barnes and Noble near us has been really good about making it a, a relatively safe shopping environment. They have a pretty low limit for the number of people. The doors are open all the time, so you don't have to touch anything. And they've cleared out the store, so there's plenty of space and the aisles are one way. So I found it to be a pretty positive experience. So that's the one place we go. Of course, we would rather go to the library where we didn't find amazing books that we then buy. Um, Libraries are germy at the best of times, Susie. That's true. (laughs) But yeah, I have bought a lot of books what else? We've upgraded our yard significantly. Right. You got a swing set. What else? We got a swing set. We got a front yard swing, a disc swing. A neighbor was getting rid of a climbing thing that they had. So we took it apart and we used the, the ladder thing that they had the rock climbing holds on for firewood. And then we used the, I don't know what they're called. Do you know what they're called? The things you used to go rock climbing? Yeah. Grips? Grips. Sure. Greg attached the grips to the sides of two of our trees so that the kids can climb up. We were also just gifted two really nice yard chairs by a friend. So our yard has actually become really, really nice. (sighs) Currently, I'm trying not to impulse buy a couple of books on drawing folk art. Oh, but I might cave into that impulse. What I've been trying to do is I find books that I really like, and then I go to thriftbooks.com. And okay. Them. Oh. See, I should do that. I keep buying books too, kind of like for the podcast a little bit, like, oh, maybe we'll talk about this, or maybe this would inform that. But it is, it's been a lot. It's been a lot of books. Yeah. But I actually have a line item in our budget for books. So Ooh, that's amazing. I All think right. I overspend it on the regular. Well, thank you. I think that was a good a good introduction. Kind of talked about what can access like in our, our family and then special people in it. And what's our what's our deal kind of and Okay. Stay golden pony okay. boy. Oh yeah, stay golden pony boy. What is I'll ask you next time. What is that book about? Thank you each and every one for joining us today. We would love to continue this conversation with you on our Patreon-linked Slack channel. We have the Patreon so that, for once, the trolls will have to pay a toll to spew obscenities and call us prostitutes. But we want to cultivate a community there that we can grow towards in-person, real-life friendships. Please share the podcast with someone you think will like it. And if you liked it, please rate it on iTunes or wherever. If you did not like it, please keep your opinions to yourself. Also, please pray for us. Thanks and talk with you all soon. Bye. I love it.